welcome to the Fat Emperor podcast. I'm your host, Ivor Cummins. Hey guys, today we're going to talk around a very, very exciting event happening in London, in-person conference. And it's going to get into all of the lockdown science and everything else relating to this viral issue. And I have the organizer, Dan Aston Gregory, here with me today. And Dan, great to see you. Great. Thank you, Ivor, for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, absolutely very excited about the event uh, coming up in London. Yeah, I mean, it's perfect. And in person, which is very appropriate because the UK has massively opened up for ages. And in a couple of weeks, they're talking about opening up completely. So perfect timing. But we might start with a bit of the background and then get into the conference, you know, maybe the genesis of, of how you came here. Yeah, so on a personal level, you know, I'm an entrepreneur by background. Uh, I've worked with lots of different startups and businesses. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs really look at how we to develop solutions to problems. Um, and I have a particular passion for developing solutions to, to global challenges and issues. Um, so when this pandemic emerged, uh, it piqued my attention, uh, uh, not only in terms of the virus itself, but also the, the, the response to the virus and really wanted to apply some critical entrepreneurial thinking to this. And I've been tracking what's been happening very, very closely ever since the initial outbreak was reported uh, over here in the UK. Um, subsequently launched a podcast uh, to discuss some of these key issues like yourself uh, bringing in different experts to analyze what's happening not just in terms of the science but also some of the political cultural social dimensions and legal aspects of what's been going on um, but what what really led to this summit is is really a point where it became very clear that much of the evidence that uh, kind of uh, challenges some of the responses that have gone before us uh, has has not really had a much light of day. We haven't really seen that critical discussion and debate, either scientifically, legally or politically, to be quite frank. Um, it feels like that discussion has been either suppressed, censored or politicized, and uh, in many ways misinterpreted and misconstrued in, in the mainstream media. Um, it comes with lots of different connotations. So it's led us to develop this lockdown summit, which we've tried to create in a way that is is very balanced. Um, it's 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 designed to uh, critically evaluate the response to COVID-19 uh, to date in a multidisciplinary fashion, uh, because uh, our belief is that whilst this is a public health situation, it's not limited to public health because it affects every aspect of our life and society and, and the world we live in. Uh, so we've opened it up to have a really multidisciplinary review of what's gone before us. Uh, but but not just that, at this critical junction now, as you mentioned, you know, with uh, certainly England potentially, uh, as we'll find out on Monday, uh, moving into the, the, the latter stages of the restrictions, potentially all of them being removed. Um, it's important at this point to take stock of where we are and where, where things could head from now, because it's important not to rest on our laurels that this this thing is over, because it's a... As you quite rightly pointed out on your show uh, many times around the seasonal aspect here, we, we can anticipate that being a respiratory virus will see uh, a form of winter resurgence, or likely to. You know, we can, maybe we won't. Maybe this is endemic, but we don't know. But it's, it, there's a possibility. So in this window of opportunity across the summer, it's important to address where do we go from here and how can we um, learn to live with the virus uh, responsibly uh, and do so without causing such wide harms that we've seen 
uh, as a result of policy ramifications, uh, not only in the short term, you know, for example, the hospital waiting lists, you know, at record levels or the uh, record national debt or the level of poverty or days of lost, you know, billions of days lost education around the world collectively, uh, how, how we can minimize total harms and start to move out of this in a responsible fashion. So a one day event designed to really capture the key evidence uh, based upon what's gone before us, but also take a forward looking approach at how we can recover from here and how we can move forward responsibly uh, so that we can actually go beyond where we've uh, had to had to uh, endure many different challenges, how we can now begin to live with the virus. Yeah, no, it sounds absolutely perfect and timely, as you say. And my background, I got into this for similar reasons. But again, I was pretty much a 25 career uh, year career as a corporate problem solver, physics, statistics, you know, all aspects of problem solving. And I led huge teams for for decades. And likewise, when this thing started, I was immediately drawn to it. And seeing the diamond princess data and some early Chinese data, I thought the whole narrative is completely out of sync with the likely impact level. And that turned out to be the case. Now, I will add, we'll be careful what we say, because I actually got a strike the other day for a conversation I had with a Dutch guy that was very open and honest and transparent, but it did critique uh, lockdown effectiveness. And I think the videos where you actually show scientific data that are convincing uh, through showing real data and proper scientific inference, they tend to be the ones that get censored. If people just give out about lockdowns and whine about medications, they get left alone. But if they're quite convincing scientifically, then they attract the ire of the censor. So I'll put a link to my Odyssey channel below uh, this video so people can see full open uncensored conversations. But back to the matter in hand, uh, you've got a lineup of some pretty heavyweights in terms of this whole technology. And you're absolutely correct, Dan. It's not just about virology. It's not epidemiology. It's not immunology. It's so much more. It's economics. I mean, it's philosophy. It's fundamental freedoms and children's education and the best overall population health being achieved on every stratum. It's a massive thing. But the orthodoxy is just focusing on the virus, the viral impact, right, and measures which supposedly will greatly decrease that. But I'm also noticing, or noticed since last year, the most stunning thing, which we might touch on first. We were warned last summer there was a massive uh, apocalypse coming. Essentially, there was talk of 1918 Spanish flu, you know. There was a huge amount of rhetoric. But all during the summer last year, when it had disappeared seasonally, there was no preparation of the hospital system for the coming apocalypse. All of the effort was put into gearing up to lock everyone down when the winter resurgence happened. So isn't that striking? And this year in Ireland, it's the same thing. They won't open restaurants and bars. They want to put in vaccine passports to go and have a meal. And no one, though, is preparing the hospitals for what they're threatening us with. So that's a second year in a row. Zilch. They never used the extra capacity in the um, original pandemic uh, in April 2020. Uh, they never used any extra capacity. And now here we are a year later and the threats are coming in to justify lockdowns and totalitarian type measures. 
but no one's spending a penny preparing the hospitals for this supposed threat. What do you think of that? Uh, well, it's a really interesting point. I think I had an interesting discussion actually with a SAGE advisor on this, uh, someone who's actually part of the SAGE committee. And we, we looked at the cultural differences between Italy's healthcare system, for instance, which usually runs at around 80% capacity, whereas in Britain, in England, certainly, it's it it pushes the red line. You know, we, we, we are geared mm. to hitting capacity levels every winter. You know, and if you take just five minutes of your time to to look at the newspaper headlines for the last decade around winter time, you'll see that the NHS is sadly always over capacity. The, 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 the shock headlines are always there around, um, you know, patients in corridors, uh, pe people dying because they can't get access to treatment. All of those shock headlines, unfortunately, are the same every year. But that's a deliberate choice. It's a strategy that the UK uh, pursues as a as a as a method of achieving efficiency. Um, so it should come as no surprise then when the same happens again this winter as it did last winter that the, the usual uh, seasonal pressures occur. Uh, we should not be uh, jump to hysteria because it's it's something that we've become in entirely acclimatized to. Now that doesn't make it right. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at is there a better way. Um, but you're absolutely right. If, if we know that we've got the usual seasonal pressures with a uh, an additional uh, challenge, then surely now is the time to readjust and look at how we prepare for that. And I, I do believe that the summer months are that uh, golden opportunity to review, take stock, uh, to actually review what's gone before us and, and think ahead to how we can be better prepared uh, for the months ahead, particularly if we are going to follow the strategy, it does appear that you know this, the tide potentially has turned in, in Westminster around this idea of living with the virus. Uh, if you are going to take that approach, then it's it's going to take some preparation, not in terms of not only in terms of practicalities, but also psychologically, because uh, people uh, ha need to reacclimatize to risk and uh, to living with, uh, or, or to be able to reassess or tolerate risk, like we have done for for, for you know millennia. Uh, but, uh, you know, in a, in a time like this, we lose our ability to do that due to the sensationalism that we've seen. Yeah, and it happens in engineering complex problems, too, that people obsess on one particular vector and then lose sight of everything else. And that's what we've seen here. But the other interesting thing is, and I'm often using the phrase late, lately when I send tweets out, a monkey could work this out because it's so blindingly obvious to me at this stage after a year, I'm getting frustrated. But for a tiny fraction of the cost of what they've chosen to do, they could eminently do what we're describing. I mean, a tiny fraction. If you look at the, we won't get into figures, the enormous costs of what has the path that's been trodden in lockdowns, in economic and in everything else, a tiny fraction of that, you could eminently have the system perfectly capable of dealing exquisitely with this extra challenge in the coming winter but no um nothing so yeah it, it's a big one it's also i mean it's also a challenge politically because actually you know that the nhs workers have been praised throughout for their their valiant work and you know that praise is long overdue to be quite frank for the the, the, the workers who tirelessly work hard every year um but the thank you they get you know despite all the fact that the government has been printing money money throughout this pandemic is you know no pay rise you know if, if there's any sector that's deserved it <laughs> uh so you know it, it begs the question about what the, what the real interests are when it comes to pandemic preparedness and you know I take a step back to the beginning the outbreak I think when there is a new um, respiratory virus or any other type of threat to health threat you know that we, we 
humans have this enormous um, fear-based response, this uh, this existential threat, you know, the, the fear of the existential threat, the fear of the unknown. Um, you know, the Black Death is often used as a reference point of the devastation that, that, that can occur. And I think some of the early reports uh, out of China created some of that hysteria, but it looked very, you know, when you look back on it now, you uh, even at the time for many people, you, you look back and think, well, something's not quite right here. You know, the way that you know, they portrayed people dying in the streets and we, we never saw that anywhere else. But it led to people think this could be the big one. You know, this, what, if, what if this is? But, but as you said, around some of the early data that came out and, and uh, I, I examined the early data very early on from February 2020 because my wife and I were going to fly out to Asia for our honeymoon. So on a personal level, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't going to fly into the eye of the storm. Um, but, but looking at the, uh, the early information, it's very clear that this is an age-graduated condition that was predominantly severely affecting the, the elderly and those with comorbidities and usually multiple comorbidities. Yes, there's other factors and exceptions, of course. Um, but it was, it was very clear that that initial fear of this being this existential threat, it was clear that this was not it. And even I remember, you know, I would have to just double check the quote, but the World Health Organization put out a note saying that I think it was 80 to 85 percent. Um, this is in February 2020 of people won't require hospitalization and that most people will get, you know, mild to no symptoms. Um, so it was clear early on that that initial fear um, uh, was was not not going to manifest. Uh, but, but, but the unfortunate reality is we've still operated in a way that it, that, that it is going to manifest in that way. And we've, we've never returned to that proportional evaluation of the risk. And of course, then that risk has been sensationalized and we've seen the kind of the role of the behavioral science uh, within the trajectory of the pandemic response, which is which has really perpetuated many of these policies, which you quite rightly state, have created significant harms. And when we talk about you know the, the idea of protecting one another from a virus, we, we actually need to look at the the what that actually means because you know we can we can protect the vulnerable for instance uh but but but, but who has become vulnerable now when you, we've got 150 million people into poverty you know that the, the wealthy middle class they've largely been unaffected by lockdowns it hasn't really affected their lives and it certainly hasn't affected them economically at least not to a, the kind of significant scale that those who are, who are at the other end of the economic um spectrum so when we talk about protecting the vulnerable we also need to think beyond the virus because uh, the vulnerabilities that have been created societally, economically and politically as a result of this cannot be ignored. And But, but the sad reality is many of these were predictable. Many of these were, were you could have projected that they were going to happen. So the, this summit comes at a unique time because it, 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 we've, we've got the data not only around the virus uh, and the response measures, but we've also got the, the, the collateral uh, indicators across many of the, the aspects of society that traditionally within a, a traditional pandemic response would be considered you wouldn't you wouldn't take take that myopic view that you, you spoke about I always say you know you cannot save the entire forest by trying to protect one tree because there's an entire forest you need to worry about which is every other aspect of society humanity the economy everything else um, so the, the summit and again taking place physically is a really important part because we've been subjected to censorship uh, and all these different issues that we've touched upon well this is an invite only event which is focused on the press the academics policymakers, um influential figures uh, to, to to enable them to sit for a day and actually listen to the evidence 
free from censorship, free from emotion, you know, free from smearing. It's, 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 it's an educated discussion with educated people around the core issues. Now, that doesn't make it sound like a sexy summit. You know, we're going to be live streaming this thing to the public as well as the invite only audience. But it's, it's not going to be hysterics. It's not going to be sensationalism. It's not going to be conspiracy, mm. which, which makes it a dry subject matter. But it's a deeply important subject matter where we actually do take that time to review and take stock of the evidence. Because if we fail to do that, it will happen sometime. And again, I've spoken to another member of the SAGE team and we agreed that in 10 years time, the world will look back and say, how do we get it so wrong? But we can't wait 10 years. The, the, the collateral harm that we've experienced to date is painful enough, but the reality is economic deprivation, hospital waiting lists, lost education, they have lasting impact. So if we allow that to continue into next winter and beyond, we, 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 we really do... Uh, we are really are creating a bigger challenge for ourselves and it's okay for the politicians in power now it's like major corporations you know the ceo is only usually there for four years the politicians are only usually there for four or five years they won't have to pick up the pieces in five ten years time 20 years time uh you know when when the, the next politicians or governments are dealing with the fallout from all of this it's not going to be on their hands so it's important that we balance the short-term problem with the long-term situation too which which is a really important consideration that we're placing on this summit because we we not only have had a very myopic view on the situation that's really essentially obsessed around coronavirus cases, um, we do need to look at the broader picture, both in the short and long term, because this is a long term problem. Yeah, absolutely. And you say uh, in a sense, in one sense, perhaps you could say it's dry material, but then our media has absolutely gorged on this topic for 16 months round the clock and this what we're talking about is vastly more important right to discuss and think about than what the media has been covering because to be quite honest the media has mostly been nonsense whether it's variants scariants cases 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 or lurid you know traveling across the world and wherever seasonally there's a spike they zone in cover it and then when the spike comes down right they walk away like india south africa chile i mean they literally flock to whatever country across the globe is currently experiencing a seasonal or whatever regional surge and then they move on to the next one so it's penny dreadful stuff i mean it's it's just junk journalism and yet here what you're describing is the very kernel the epicenter of this whole challenge is the cost benefit of the interventions i mean it's so central you know, you probably sense my frustration, but I've been saying this for a year. The cause benefit of the interventions and effectiveness of them is the big story. It's the huge story. Yes, I, I do think the tide will turn. I think there, it just it's it, it's it's been very difficult on the basis. Firstly, the interests of the media don't align with the interests of public health or society necessarily. You know that. You know, there isn't really a news channel that focuses on good news and telling a positive, happy story. It, it chases crisis. It chases the sensationalist headlines. It's designed to do that. But you've also got the issue in this particular instance, which I think is an issue that does need to be addressed for future uh, preparedness, is that the public health system and the government pay the newspapers, etc., to advertise the government messaging you know so there's a financial conflict of interest by the fact that they are effectively 
advertising, the government messaging. You know, and again, th there is a role for that. You know, it, it, there is a role for public health messaging, but it does create a financial conflict, which makes it very difficult then for editors to take too much of a hard line against the political uh, narrative because they're paying their bills. Um, so it's these factors people don't really take stock of and stop and think, well, actually, that could be a problem. Uh, you know, I can see why that could be suppressing the story. And I've spoken to journalists who have put critical narratives to their editors, but their edit the editors can't take it. They can't. They won't publish it. You know, and it's and it's not necessarily down to the individual editors. It's 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 the, the, the owners of the papers. Now, it's not to say that you know the Murdochs of the world are all sat there around a table with a cup of coffee saying we're not we're just not going to do this. But it's 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 it. There's dynamics that people need to think about that is beyond just simply the fact. Uh, that we haven't addressed these issues, you know. It's th th there are there are it, there are um, confluences of interests that just make this a very difficult mess. Yeah, I'd agree, Dan. And to be honest, there's so many people kind of profiteering or gaining from the narrative. It's just unfortunate. But nearly every influential segment benefits from the narrative being more on the extreme sides. I mean, from the PPE, from the pharmaceutical industry, from the power that these councils, sages or Neffet in Ireland have gained, the fame, right, the adoration in some cases. Every single, and the WHO themselves, obviously, massively extend their reach and their power. So for an organization that's intoxicating, every single influential body, sadly, benefits from this crisis being more you know, fulsome and, and more scary uh, in the coverage. The funding of the media is something that's extraordinary because that funding should have gone to pretty dry, dusty, please keep up to date with government guidance on this issue, yada, yada. But it, it didn't. That funding found its way into more and more lurid reports. And one journalist told me, a pretty seasoned guy, he said, the problem is, Ivor, even at the journalist level, if you're a journalist and you want to come out with a, a lurid piece on the latest shocking death figures or whatever, or cases, it'll take you 10 or 20 minutes over a cup of coffee and your editor will snap it up. You're done. If you want to come out with a piece that's true journalism that challenges the narrative somewhat, you need to do a ton of research, be really careful what you say, and be very, very well prepared. That's a lot of work. And chances are the editor will say, nah, it doesn't really fit. So the incentive to do the junk journalism, even at a journalist level, is enormous. And that's the real problem. And again, I think this is, for me, again, why it's a really important opportunity for us with this summit to, to interject with that. Because uh, whilst we've invited the, you're absolutely right, the work, we're going to try and do the work for them. You know, we've put an entire curriculum of <laughs> an entire program together, which outlines top to bottom really you know from why the pandemic uh, rulebook was thrown out in the first instance and in session one right through to uh, looking at the solution at the end of the, uh, the program uh, we're really trying to make it simple for people to understand and to tell that story but uh, we come up against those forces so you know the event is going to be live streamed around the world and you know it's 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 it, new media is an opportunity for people to actually connect and engage uh, with this topical subject matter, which is important. And whilst, you know, I, I, I say it's not sexy, actually, the stories behind this eventually will be sensationalistic, because when you actually get to the depths of the the, the, the problems, 
there will be a lot of people scratching their heads saying, how do we allow this to happen? You know, how did this happen? Yeah. And that comes with, uh, that does come with a shock value when you fully understand it. Um, now, uh, you know, we've, we've, at this point, we're looking at it in a very measured objective way, uh, but uh, it's down to the press to do with that what they will. But ultimately we have to get to a point where we acknowledge that things could have, things have gone wrong and things could have been done very differently. Yeah, and I, I agree absolutely, Dan. It's replete with 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 very lurid, uh, true stories, uh, as you describe, which are shocking and they're sensational, uh, but they're just not what's being covered. And they are all the mistakes or the um, kind of influences that occurred or even back to Imperial College. I mean, months and months ago, well, actually back in June, it was released that the Imperial College initial uh, calculations, etc., in a non-peer-reviewed report, which basically changed the whole world forever, maybe, uh, they based it on six infected people on six flights out of Wuhan uh, in a very short period, I think six or seven days. So it was kind of based on the most, most tenuous, sketchy data. And yet when it came out, whole governments took it as gospel. So even those little stories, and there's many of them, uh, they're all fascinating. And, and hopefully journalism will go back to being actual journalism after a year of being in a kind of drunken stupor. Uh, and when actually begin to pick up on these real stories that are far more important to the population to see and understand. Well, I do think when the tide turns and the, the, you get the courageous editor or the courageous paper or publication, they, they, I think there will be a race to the top to get the most damning story. But, but there's, there's almost a sense of whilst we're in this crisis, if you were, well, uh, all the hysteria that comes with it, no one is bold enough or brave enough to go there. But I do think once that process begins, it will be a race to the top because when there's no longer sensationalism to apply to coronavirus stats, whether it's deaths or hospitalizations or cases there that's the opportunity then to unravel what's gone before us and there as you say there's plenty i mean just just this morning i learned about the i don't i forget the name of the original study but it was around the choir um and the concerns around singing but there's a new there's a new study that's coming out now on that situation which which recognizes that key information was missed um you know, the, 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 the possibility of prior infection prior to that choir, but also the, the, the latest hypothesis is that those who traveled there by carpool in a, in, you know, in a car where the air is circulating, for instance, uh, without any fresh air, is much more likely to be a vector for, for transmission than the, uh, the, you know, singing in a choir. Uh, but, but that in itself sounds like a very inane study. But actually, if you think about that, how many, how many things have not been able to happen because of that initial study, which was based upon uh, flawed assumptions and misinformation. Yeah. Um, well, it, it, it may seem inane, but in the hands of the sun or, or some of the red tops, you can make that into a bloody good story that would have people on the edge of their seat. And the other one as well, which was the most astonishing thing almost I've seen in my life, was the two hairdressers uh, that uh, did not spread to all these hundred people or so that they had cut their hair and that proved masks work. Now, that was beneath the very basement. If you go into the basement of science, the lowest rungs of what you might call evidence, you would have to excavate in the basement very deep, maybe with a well boring machine to get down to nonsense like that. And that was used by the CDC in an official report. 
I mean, literally astonishing. And um, I'm just watching this as a, as a person of science for, for decades. Uh, show me the data was my catchphrase. I am ruthless in pursuit of truth in data and truth in science. And you have to be as a corporate problem solver because if we allow any of our hypotheses to become favorite sons or daughters, we lose. We must challenge our hypothesis all the time and ask what evidence quality are we dealing with here? What level of proof is here? This could be junk and we're allowing a whole team to go in a certain direction. That was my job, my life for decades to manage that. And then I have to sit and watch the CDC doing this. So anyway, uh, Doc, there's a million examples and I think they're fantastic stories. And if they're properly written and explained, they should be compelling, fascinating, even entertaining. I don't like to use that word to, to lay people. And that's coming, I think. I agree. I hope so. I do agree. And I think that will help turn the tide because I think what's 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 observable now is that the general populace has reached a point of distant you know they they are disgruntled you know for, for those of us like yourself who've been looking at the the data the science the evidence we've been more than disgruntled for a long time uh but 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 those those kind of in the kind of middle silent majority uh have now started to feel it themselves and it often sadly often takes people to feel it personally before they really pay attention um you know it's it's a, it's a classic pattern pattern uh, but now that people, you know, this far in are starting to feel that, I think that puts pressure not only on the press, but also politicians to look at this differently. So I think, again, in terms of this summer window, historically, this would be an opportunity to take a, take stock of what's gone before us and to plan ahead. Um, but as you correctly said at the beginning, we're not seeing signs of that yet. So this 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 is really what we're trying to do with the summit is to is to is to to be that beacon, uh, not only in terms of critical evaluation and to begin that process formally in terms of uh, critical assessment of the response, but also to to lay a pathway ahead that can uh, help us uh, find a path out of this that minimizes all harms, you know, in including harms to, to liberty and democracy and human rights, in addition to harms from the virus, the secondary harms around education, the economy, healthcare, mental health and all those other issues. It's about how do we address this thoroughly in a very holistic, uh, multidisciplinary fashion uh, so that we can prepare for what comes ahead. Absolutely perfect. So I know we want to keep this tight, Dan, and uh, want to get the message out there. So we'll, we'll, from both our sides, we'll share this. Maybe we'll wrap up with the, the approximate details of the conference, though I will include them all in the uh, description box below, etc. cetera. Uh, but just a final wrap up on, on the details. Sure. Thank you for that. So it's it's a full day program. Uh, it's really a concise overview of many of the subjects that we've touched upon today and, and much more. Uh, it's, obviously, it's a very complex subject matter, but we're going to give a very concise overview over a series of uh, keynotes, panel discussions, Q&A. Um, and for the public at home, uh, we're really hoping to get this information in front of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, so they can participate in this conversation and be part of the uh, solution themselves because it, it does require public participation uh, you will be able to participate in the Q&A through the live stream as it uh, as it unfolds we'll we'll take stock of the questions that are being asked so that we can add it to the moderation panels um, so you can join us on Saturday the 17th of July the event will take place between 9am uh, UK time until 5.30pm there will be breaks in between of course um, but, a, but a full series of, of keynotes panel discussions with a whole variety of speakers 
um, to give a concise overview of the evidence of what's gone before us, as I've talked about, to critically evaluate response to COVID-19, but also to explore solutions for moving forward. So a one-day event, you can join us uh, by going to questioneverything.io. That's questioneverything.io. Uh, that's our brand uh, that's behind not only this event, but other, other debates and discussion panels that we have around this subject. But the full day summit, you'll be able to sign up for your live stream access and uh, join us live on the 17th of July. Super stuff, Dan. And just for our American listeners, that's around 4 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern time U.S., uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to jump in, that you'll be able to go backwards in the streaming maybe. You'll be able to go backwards in the streaming. We've got a full camera crew, so everything is going to be professionally recorded uh, and produced. Uh, all the talks will be individually released post-summit. Uh, we'll be creating sound bites and micro clips of all the key points. So uh, if you're not able to join us live, do register anyway so that you get full access to the uh, recordings and the replays once the, uh, once the event is done. Super. So questioneverything.io. That's one word, questioneverything.io. Get on there straight away before you forget or you get caught up with life and just register and then you'll be getting emails, I guess, and all the access. Indeed. I think it's a fantastic event and I'm just delighted to get the message out on it because this, what you've discussed here, the, the massive requirement for this to be kind of distributed, internalized by people all across the world is, is just beyond important. Uh, we have kind of ransacked our society, our traditions, our histories, and our whole risk perception machinery has been kind of destroyed over the last year. And uh, we got to get it back. Indeed, we have. Indeed. Thank you, Ivan. It's been a pleasure having uh, this conversation with you today. Thank you for, for talking with me. No, pleasure's mine. Thank you, Dan. And see you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and also to hit that little bell icon to make sure you're informed and get to counter some of the more corporate style science that's out there. So all the links are in the description box below and also really appreciate all my PayPal and Patreon supporters and anyone else who can continue to support me to provide all the material that I do. It's highly appreciated. So thank you.